Welcome to the Political Notebook. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher. And I'm Robert Robb, editorial columnist for the Arizona Republic and Billy's dad. And a couple of your last columns, I think two of the last three, dad, have been about foreign policy. One of your columns has been about uh, Saudi Arabia uh, and, and foreign policy towards the Middle East after the murder of uh, journalist uh, Khashoggi. And you also wrote about how foreign policy has been kind of a non a non factor when it should be in the in the Arizona Senate race. And I was looking back at some of our podcasts. We haven't talked about foreign policy once, so we're going to talk about foreign policy today. And um, <clears throat> and some of the trends I think we've seen the last two years of the Trump administration. Even though he wrote a column about the how, how important the Senate is to foreign policy, you know, it seems like over the years. Um, the presidency has taken on an, an even more prominent role than was intended, perhaps, in the in the Constitution. Um, so, but it seems to me like Trump's theme has been uh, almost a withdrawal from the world, or a sense of isolationism or rejection of the alliances that were important to Obama and that we'd built over the years. And so, some just some examples of his America First sort of approach, you know, canceling the Paris, uh, or wanting to get out of the Paris Climate Accord, being kind of cold to our NATO allies in Europe, um, you know, the tariffs, trying to clamp down on immigration from Muslim countries and also from Mexico, and and, and just recently, last week, announcing that he's going to pull out of the nuclear agreement with, with Russia. Is that how you sense... Uh, that's just for for me. That's what I, you know, what I what it seems like the theme has been from his from his foreign policy in this last two years. Do you see it the same way, or would you put a different perspective? I, I, on I would it? put a a slightly different um, perspective on it. I mean, Trump um, has been very um, faithful to implementing the campaign promises that he made. So the withdrawal from the Paris. Uh, climate accord and withdrawal from the Iranian nuclear deal are two things which he ran on. Um, and uh, the Russians have been cheating regularly on the intermediate missile uh, agreement that he announced um, an intention to withdraw from this week. Uh, and there's just not much point in the U.S adhering to a treaty that the Russians are blatantly uh, cheating on. He also suggested that he would reduce the U.S. role in the world, um, that he would indeed uh, withdraw um, the umbrella of American protection and demand that other countries step up and do more. In that, he he really has not done. Uh, he's... Uh, reinforced all of the internationally binding commitments, um, particularly uh, with Japan and South Korea. He does have a mercantilist approach to other countries when it comes to trade and seems like zero to... zero-sum game sort of idea. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and, and, and he seems to view... Um, what the U.S. does to provide security guarantees to some of these countries as a bargaining chip to use to improve what he sees are 
an unfair balance of trade. Uh, but he has remained very active and committed in the world. Um, we have imposed sanctions, uh, tougher sanctions on Russia, more to come. We are doing more frequent um, freedom of navigation of the seas, uh, patrols um, in areas that China claims but are regarded by international law as international uh, waters. Um, he uh, has seemed to renew a commitment to, to NATO. So um, to me, he is so erratic and dealing with the issue of the day that it's sort of hard to identify a pattern uh, or to two years in render a judgment uh, as to how things are going. He certainly has been with his erratic and aggressive behavior uh, a unsettling uh, force in international relations, whether that's ultimately for the good or ultimately for ill, I I don't think we know yet. Yeah, so, so my perception is kind of the the shrinking. You kind of see uh, more of an erratic. In some ways, we're we're shrinking away from the world, but in other ways, we're either the same well, we're, or, or strengthening we're, certain fronts. We're not working as much. Um, with other countries through multilateral organizations to try to articulate and achieve common um, goals. However, he's not withdrawn from any place in the world. If anything, he's increased the security guarantees that we provide to South Korea and Japan, two areas where he said he was going to withdraw. There's been no withdrawal of U.S. involvement and support in NATO. Uh, he said that he would try to decimate Islamic uh, State uh, in Iraq and Syria. Uh, we've had a step up of military action there. Uh, he has sought to um, have diplomatic uh, initiatives uh, to resolve the Israeli-Palestinian uh, conflict. So he hasn't really withdrawn anywhere. He has just gone about it in an entirely different way, often that appears to be by the seat of the pants and erratic, uh, and the U.S. acting unilaterally rather than attempting to yeah. work together with potential allies. Yeah, I remember early on his presidency, after there was some evidence that Syria leader was dropped was using chemical weapons he dropped the mother of all bombs on syria and everyone was kind of freaking out that he was going to just start unleashing bombs on everyone but that hasn't that hasn't really happened either traditionally con, you know conservative foreign policy you know started out as being you know very aggressive towards soviet union and the threat of communism um, and you know traditionally even more recently Foreign policy has sought to exert strength uh, overseas, especially to prop up democracy and you know, kind of you know, defending American values. And was still pretty strong against Russia. How how do you, has Trump's foreign policy diverged from what you think maybe a traditional conservative might have done, like a Jeb Bush or something? Um, I, only in 
the approach, uh, not in the goals and objectives. And again, um, a more conventional conservative president uh, would have made a greater effort to um, achieve common cause with our allies and be more inclusive uh, and deferential uh, to um, other countries with interest uh, at stake as well. But um, Trump has, particularly in the Middle East, completely bought the neoconservative view uh, that Iran is the threat uh, in the region and the U.S. needs to make an orienting principle of our activities in the region containing and deterring Iran, um, which requires us, according to this point of view, with which I happen to disagree, um, to form alliances with the Sunni powers in the region, particularly Saudi Arabia and Egypt, uh, in order to counterbalance the influence of Iran. So, um, in, and, and he's also been more aggressive uh, with sanctions against Russia than the Obama administration has been. He has sold uh, weapons to Ukraine that the Obama administration declined to do. So in substance, in, in terms of goals and objectives, um, he has been right where any other neoconservative um, president would be. He just goes about it in a far more independent and erratic way. When you say he, do you think that he is actually himself directing these in this way, or do you think he's just ceding this decision-making or this policy to the national security apparatus that, that would have been doing the same thing. You know what I'm saying? So a, a combination. I, I, there are, there's so much international diplomatic activity that goes on. An awful lot of it is delegated. Um, but ultimately he is calling the shots because if he wasn't calling the shots, the shots wouldn't be so erratic and, Unsettling. He has people who have uh, strong neoconservative um, instincts and uh, approaches uh, in his secretary of state and his national security advisor, uh, but they are seasoned individuals uh, who would not just all of a sudden pop up and say something that completely changes things. And certainly, I think the personal diplomacy uh, that you've seen Trump use with North Korea and mm -hmm. Japan, uh, and he would like to do so with Russia, but um, the circumstances of the investigation and the behavior of the Russian government have precluded that. So, so Trump very much sees personal diplomacy between heads of government as a critical factor. And certainly I think he was, he was calling the shots and will continue to call the shots, for example, on our uh, attempts uh, with North Korea uh, to get them to denuclearize. So do you think, you think Pompeo and Bolton, so Pompeo is the Secretary of State, right. Bolton is the National Security Advisor, John right. Bolton, uh, you think they've been doing a, a good job? They're, they're both 
you know, the second, I think, second or third uh, people in their positions uh, that Trump has they, already shoveled through his yeah, first set. They, well, I don't, I have a different point of view as to what the U.S. should do in foreign policy, and it, it is uh, very uh, similar to what Trump's instincts initially were, which is to be less involved in the world and make other countries stand up more for themselves. Uh, but um, Pompeo and Bolton are uh, in accord with Trump on what he wants to do and are seasoned veterans. So I believe in terms of advancing Trump's foreign policy, uh, they are in fact good picks and are in fact doing a good job from his perspective. Another historical sort of precedent that Trump is changing, and you hinted at it before, is this sense of, I think historically, the United States has acted out of a sense of moral purpose and standing for freedom and all, you know, sticking up for American values, even when critics might say that, you know, that's, that's not actually what's happening. You're just saying that and you're actually being imperialist or whatever. But it's always been kind of a stated purpose of that's what we're doing. Do you think Trump's in, inability or unwillingness to, to do that and stand up for those values uh, kind of hurts us in the eyes of the world? It's just an example of uh, what happened in Helsinki uh, when, you know, it's U.S. intelligence is saying that Russia hacked into our elections. He's standing side by side with Putin, who, you know, presumably directed the uh, manipulation of our elections, whatever you want to call it, by releasing uh, by, uh, advertisements and perhaps hacking into emails. So he's standing side by side with him and, and, and kind of just taking his word for Trump's taking Putin's word for not doing it or, or defending it. And that was seen as um, sort of shameful. A lot of people, even John McCain said, quote at the time, he called it one of the most disgraceful performances by an American president in memory. And a lot of people left and right were appalled by what was seen as not sticking up for America and American values in that situation. You could probably think of some other examples as well, but his tone is definitely different. Do you think that hurts uh, America's standing? And what what would you... I, I, I will separate his general behavior from the specifics of the summit with Putin, but I will okay. address that. Um, I think America has been hurt by blatant hypocrisy um, over the course of the years um, about professing to say that our foreign policy is about advancing the principles of democratic capitalism and then routinely um, forming alliances with some of the most brutal repressive regimes in the entire country, in the entire world. Like Saudi Arabia. Uh, and, and there's no better example than Saudi Arabia, um, which is, uh, except for North Korea, um, arguably the most repressive and authoritarian uh, regime in the entire world. Egypt uh, had a military coup. Uh, we had a law that said that we're going to cut off aid to Egypt if there's a military coup. The Obama administration purposely uh, declined to call it a military coup mm -hmm. so that the aid could continue. Um, so I think that it is better for the U.S. to be acting out of its own self-interest uh, 
I would like to see us do less of making alliances with uh, foreign despots because usually I don't, I think we should be out of the region and out of the conflict uh, rather than involved. Um, so in, in general, I don't think, I, I think an America that's acting in its self-interest is easier for the world to understand and to deal with. The Russian uh, summit um, is an exception to that generally benign uh, view. But uh, it is because Trump just has a blind spot uh, with respect to anything dealing with Russian involvement in our election. He is incapable of not interpreting any claim that the Russians interfered uh, as anything other than an attack on the legitimacy of his victory. So that leads him to do stupid things, such as not siding with our intelligence community um, in his summit with, with Putin. But I think it is sort of a one-off. Uh, it's a blind spot he has. He, I, he would be so much better if he could say, the Russians interfered with our elections, I wasn't involved, and it didn't affect the outcome. But he's incapable of doing that. But it's, it's, a, it's kind of a pattern. He gets accused of cozying up to dictators. He has recently talked about how in love he is with Kim Jong-un. He's, uh, well, so, you know, so did the uh, president of South Korea. He used comparable <laughs> language. But even, I mean, even... If you're trying to develop that close relationship, usually an American president at least say, you know, recognize that this is not someone to be falling in love with on the on the national stage. Same thing with when this, you know, when the Saudi Arabia story first broke, he's very, very hesitant to, to even admit that they might be lying. Kind of said, oh, why would, you know, they're denying it, they're denying it. Um, was also... Um, Pretty flippant, I think. Well, I can't remember specifics about the Filipino uh, dictator saying, I, I forget what, but there's just a lot of examples of that. And so that's what I kind of mean, what I mean by doesn't not projecting the same sort of value, you know, freedom valuing. But we've cozied up with every one of those regimes through multiple presidents who have said effusive things about. Uh, the leaders of those countries. So you're, he's it, he's more crude. Uh, he's more transparent. So we're we uh, just dropping the. You're seeing us as like dropping the front that we've that we have been standing up for. And, and, well, and and oftentimes not even a very much of a front. I mean, the the Obama administration said nice things about Sisi after he executed a military coup uh, in in Egypt. Uh, George W. Bush held hands with the monarchs of uh, Saudi Arabia um, and um, presidents going back to Roosevelt have been effusive in their praise of some of the most brutal despots uh, on the globe, the, the House of Saud. So um, I would prefer if we weren't cozying up to these regimes, uh, but I don't find the fact that he is transparent about it um, particularly worrisome. Uh, and I think our 
transparent hypocrisy uh, has hurt us in the past. A couple more questions. I'm looking at a cover of The Economist right now for this week, and it's on the cover. It's China versus America, a dangerous rivalry. And it's uh, the briefing this week talks about um, the rise of China and what that might mean in terms of conflict. Do you see China as a threat? Is it, how should we be approaching China as it, as it rises and becomes more powerful economically and tries to expand its, its influence in Europe and other places? The, the first thing I think we need to do is to wall off the American economy um, from the Chinese. Uh, they are simply different than anything we've ever confronted before. Uh, there is no such thing as a truly private business in China. Uh, even uh, foreign companies that set up operation in China are now being pressured uh, to add um, Communist Party uh, committees um, to exercise influence over their internal decisions. Uh, we don't support uh, a state-controlled economy. Um, we believe that private investment ought to drive it. And so we shouldn't, through our importation of capital or goods, be importing um, that kind of a system. Now, in the past, we have done business with um, countries that have state-controlled economies, but they've never been this big. They've never been uh, as much as of, of a threat to undermine our system of democratic capitalism um, because of their sheer size. I think that the Trump administration is sort of backing into viewing things that way, what started out as a trade war, we're going to establish tariffs in order to get you guys to buy more of our goods, to quit shaking down our businesses, to provide intellectual property to you, um, I think is beginning to take that point of view, that China is just unique and we need to wall ourselves off from them. Does that risk military conflict down the road? I don't think it does, but that danger exists. Um, the Chinese clearly want to dislodge the United States as the principal uh, naval power in that part of the world. Um, and they are well on their way to achieving that with some of the military capabilities that they are acquiring. Um, their assertion of territorial control of much of the seas in the region conflicts with other countries uh, who are allies of ours. And I think there is a serious question about the extent to which it is in U.S. interest to continue to be a rival to China for that as opposed to Japan, South Korea, uh, Australia, figuring out how they're going to retain all, all very affluent countries collectively with as much economic firepower as China, 
figure out how they're going to retain their freedom of operation against an attempt by China to be a hegemonic power in the region. But that is not the approach of the, tr of the Trump administration. That's not the approach of Democrats that might want to be president. So there is a real uh, chance of military conflict. Um, but I think that that risk is um, neither increased nor diminished by walling them off gotcha. economically. There's been stories about Google creating software that could operate in China in a censored format. Would you be in, do you think that we should make laws prohibiting businesses, especially tech companies, from that's acting a, over there? Yeah, that's a tougher question. I, I have very reluctantly, because I'm an ardent free trader, uh, come to the conclusion that we need to wall off our economy uh, from uh, Chinese capital and Chinese goods. Whether we restrict the ability of U.S. companies to invest in China uh, is a more difficult question, and my tendency at this point would be to say, no, they have to take their own risk. It would be fairly easy for a Google or any other company U.S. company that wanted to do business in China to form a European subsidiary and engage in that activity there. But the one thing we should make clear is that we're not coming to the rescue, um, that uh, if China expropriates their property, that's their problem. Yeah. But, but China won't be permitted to expropriate their property, create a competitive good, and then sell it in the United States. Yeah. I think another concern for, for a lot of people is that as Google's developing this censoring technology, that that would be something that they have. And so maybe a risk of... Well, China already has States. it. And China has a very aggressive artificial intelligence development program going. And it is all to control mm -hmm. its population. Um, so I, I don't think... Google is offering them anything they don't already have. Um, it's just the price of admission to have something comparable if Google wants to do business in China. And it's a huge market. So it's yeah. very difficult for American companies to say, um, we're going to choose not to participate in, uh, in China, uh, even though I personally think that would be better for their investors. I, I think there is huge risk um, given... The uh, total control of the economy there by the Communist Party and increasingly a one-person dictatorship. We've uh, been experiencing a lot of divisiveness lately, and and you just recently wrote a column that uh, thing you know that our politics shouldn't be as much about Trump as it is. Um, but I think that um, at the very least. He is inflaming divisiveness. He's definitely not tamping it down. Do you think? And, j and just today, as we're uh, you know recording on a, on a Wednesday, the twenty eighth, um, there's been we don't have a lot of information about culprits or anything, but uh, pipe bombs were sent out to Democratic leaders, um, and so there's conversations about that divisiveness. Do you think that divisiveness within the United States? 
um, hurts our ability to, you know, to focus on the outside world, I guess, does, does internal strife within a country uh, limit its ability to be responsive to external threats? Um, no question. Um, our politics are so polarized that even when people agree, they're incapable of working together to achieve a result. Uh, and that does affect your ability to conduct a foreign policy that people believe will be consistent over time and not subject to the variegates of, of American politics. Having said that, there are certain um, foreign policy questions on which there has been consensus and has forced the hand of the Trump administration. Russian sanctions uh, is one example. Relations with Saudi Arabia may become another example. Yeah. So uh, it is a problem, um, but it is one that the members, particularly of the Senate, seem to be able to work through right. and around on some specific things. Yeah, and it seemed, it seemed like they were pretty much on the same page with the response to the, the killing of the Saudi Arabian Well, we'll journalists. see, because the, the question um, is whether we continue to sell them arms. Right. Uh, and it would be a pretty big step for the Congress uh, to vote to cancel... Uh, those sales, and certainly the Trump administration would be against it. I mean, the Saudis do pay cash. They're not someone to whom we're subsidizing the purchase of American arms, and, and there is a um, limitation on what we sell them. We, we maintain technological superiority for Israel, so um, they get the second-generation stuff. Um, and Israel gets the first generation stuff. Um, but if other than hot air, it, it's yet to be seen uh, whether there will be a congressional consensus that's different than whatever it is that the Trump administration ultimately decides to do. But certainly there is a bipartisan uh, discussion um, right. about what to do with what's happened in the uh, Saudi consulate in Istanbul. Well, let's finish with this one American pastime that we can all unite around is baseball, and it's the World Series right now. Who you got, Dodgers or Red Sox? Uh, well, until you said that, I didn't even know who was <laughs> playing. But as a uh, child growing up in Phoenix, I was an avid uh, L.A. Dodger fan. I could still tell you the starting lineup and batting order of the 1963 Los <laughs> Angeles Dodgers, which was about the time that I quit following baseball. So it would have to be the Dodgers. Well, although, watched, your, although your mom undoubtedly, uh, who's from New Hampshire, would be rooting for the Red Sox. Well, I watched a game last night. It was four hours long, so oh, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a wearing, wearing on me. But um, we'll see if your predictions hold up. Thanks everyone for listening to the Political Notebook. You can subscribe uh, and listen on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, or any other 
podcasting app. Thanks.